Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That name, that beautiful name that declares salvation, wholeness, wholeness, God. We declare that. The very essence of your name is freedom, is deliverance, provision, nothing broken, nothing lacking, nothing missing. God, we bless you. Worthy, worthy, worthy are you, Lord. Worthy, worthy, worthy are you, Lord. You know, as we were in worship before Ben, just before Ben came up, he uh, began to just give me downloads of scriptures and, and different things that he was putting in my heart. This morning, I was in, in, uh, in prayer and... It was really sweet just to be with him, and uh, as I was there, one of, the things that, one of the things that he was showing me in the scriptures is just different places where he says, oh, like, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, I had shared just a few weeks ago, and there's something that the Lord's continuing to stir my heart with, is that we, um, let's see how I want to articulate it. We serve and believe that we serve a living God, right? Our God's not dead. He's not an idol. He's not someone that can be something that can be put on a shelf that we just bow to. Uh, he, he is the living God. And if we encounter living people, there's an exchange that takes place, correct? Some good, some bad, <laughs> Right? But when we encounter living people, there's an exchange that takes place. And, and I'm um, saddened by many times organized religion has gotten to the place where we will just settle for an exchange of information instead of an encounter with the living God. We will come and we will just gather information about this God that we say we love and we serve but there's not an exchange, there's not an encounter. And then the scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, I, there are very few people, and I'm not saying there aren't any. I can get in trouble saying that. There are very few people who eat merely for sustenance. All right, you know what I'm saying? There are very few people who eat just so they can have food in their body, just so they can have uh, the energy that they need. Most people eat because they enjoy it, right? And therefore, they eat what they enjoy, right? And I know it's different in different cultures. I understand. I've been to third world countries where they'll eat anything because they have to have sustenance to survive. But that's somewhat foreign in our culture here, so I want to speak to us today, that when we eat, we eat that that which is pleasing to us, things that we, you know, it's, it's funny. She's not in here, so I can pick on her. My sister-in-law, Gail, Tina's sister, she's notorious for this. She'll take a bite of something, and she'll go, ooh, taste that. <laughs> what in me looks at you and says, yeah, can I please? <laughs> because I want that same expression on my face. No. No, here's, you know, the word says, I put before you life and death. Choose life. 
right? I'm telling you, God, if someone looks at you and they go, oh, taste this, don't do it. <laughs> I'm going to help you. If you were wondering when you walked in today, should I taste it? I'm going to tell you, don't do it. Don't do it. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't normally end well. But that's the beautiful thing of the Lord. In Psalms, he said, taste and see. I think it's Psalms uh, 37. Let me see. Don't, it's 34, 37. I was in there a lot this morning. Looks like it's not. 34, 8. There it is. I just found it. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Then the second part's just as important. It says, blessed is the man who trusts in him. Verse 9, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. That's good. Oh, taste and see. You know, I've been teaching, I started last week teaching on worship and on the who who are we worshiping? Because I'm telling you, I, and I, I laid the foundation of the five W's that we learned in school, the who, what, when, where, and why, and then the how they added later. I guess because it has a W on the end of it, they thought that was okay <laughs> just to confuse kids like some of this new math and stuff they're doing. Do you know it's... I'm sorry, I'm not going to follow a squirrel. He said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. That just encourages me. You know, when people ask me how I'm doing, my response is I'm blessed. I'm blessed. One, because me being blessed isn't contingent upon how things are going in my life. It's a state of being because of who Jesus is and who he is in me. But also it says blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. That's me. That's this man. I trust in him. It doesn't mean I do it perfectly every time, but it means I trust him because why? He's worthy. He's worthy. And in, until we understand who he is, even in prayer this morning, uh, one of the things that uh, Kathy uh, brought out was John 15. Uh, John 15 is where Jesus is talking about abide in me. And I'll abide in you. He said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. You, we have to see the life of the of the uh, the branches in the vine, once it's disconnected, it it dies. It's not because uh, the vine wanted it to die. It's constantly given life. It's constantly given life, and and the Lord wants us to be so intimately connected with Him. But if we don't know who He is, if we don't understand He's good, then we won't have a desire to connect with Him. Or to stay connected to him because we'll be consumed with everything else that's going on around us and not with who he is. As I said, it, oh, taste and see that the Lord is what? He's good. Is that a suggestion? No, it's not a suggestion. It's a fact. He's good. He's not just good when we taste. He's good all the time. The beauty of it is when we taste, that's when we are able to uh, receive and encounter his goodness. Just like you can, you can stand at a table and look at someone else's juicy steak. If you don't eat steak, I'm sorry. I feel bad for you. <laughs> we'll have prayer at the end of the service. We'll pray for you. I'm just kidding. That good, that steak, 
you know, it's one thing to see it. It's, it's, it's another thing to smell it. But it's totally different to taste it. And I say that because what God put in Ben's heart this morning when he came up, there are so many people who come to church and, f- for analogy's sake, they smell the presence of the Lord. I'm not saying you, a fragrance comes in the room. Sometimes it does. But I'm not saying specifically that, literally that. But the presence of the Lord comes in and they go, they sense that something's different. They may even look at other people who are responding differently than they're responding and they're going, something's different. Do you understand? There's levels of encounter. There are different levels of encounter. So they go, yeah, they're doing something I'm not familiar with, so that's just different to me. Doesn't mean it's wrong, but it's different to me. But then when you go, you know what? I just don't I don't want to just smell it. I don't want to I don't want to see somebody else eat it. I want it. I want it. That's what Ben was talking about. I want it. I make a decision that I'm no longer going to sit on the sidelines and just watch everyone else. Put me in, coach. I want to get in the game. I want to get in the game. I want to be a part. I'm tired of sitting and watching. And you know what? That's what worship is. Worship isn't the, the service before the service. It's not the prelude to the preaching. Worship is a lifestyle of passionate love and obedience to the God who's worthy, who's good all the time. There may be things going on in the world that aren't good, but he's good all the time. And he says, the word of God says that he, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they're safe. He's good. He's always good. That does not mean that there's always good going on in your life. But even when there's not good going on in your life, he's always good. You know, as I was reading these Psalms and I was um, spending time uh, with the Lord, this Psalm here in Psalm 34, there's amazing stuff that's going on when David wrote this Psalm. And I, you know, it's a, it shows how much God really loves us because he said David was a man after God's own heart. How many, of you, how many of you know David was not a perfect man? Just be, I'm not attacking David. I'm just being real. David was jacked up in a lot of different areas. I mean, he really was. This psalm, Psalm 34, was written right after David, the little context of what's going on, David's been run, the Lord anointed David when he was a little, a little guy, right? He was around, some say around 17, 18 years old. He was out in the field, and the prophet came, and he says, all your sons? He said, nope, there's one more. Uh, I mean, if you're talking about dealing with rejection, David dealt with it all the way around. But he made a choice not to allow rejection to stop him from his destiny. And you have to make that same choice. But David comes in, he anoints him. Uh, and he says, you're going to be king. He's still just a boy. You're going to be king. David had enough maturity and wisdom about him that he didn't go try to make it happen. But through a process of time, David, uh, he kills Goliath. He gets brought into the king's palace. He gets given the king's daughter to marry, right? You tracking with me? All this is going on. And then David would go out to battle. And when he would come back into battle, they would say, Saul's killed his thousand and David is 10,000. Saul was the king. That's no bueno. No bueno for, the, for his m- musician to be 
and his uh, apprentice to be exalted above him. So Saul turned away from the Lord and went crazy and started trying to kill David. We're talking about worship. I'm not on a squirrel. I'm not chasing a squirrel. We're talking about worship. But David knew how to worship God. In the midst of struggle, many of the Psalms are David just being real, talking about, God, here's what's going on. My, my uh, attackers, those who are, are chasing me are all around me, and I feel like I'm going to choke. I, feel, I mean, you can, any emotion you want, you can find in Psalms. That doesn't validate it for you. Well, I can be depressed. Look at David. David was depressed. That's not, that's not a validation. It's a reality of what was going on in the man's life. But we see in Psalms that David... Here in Psalm 34, so David has been on the run. He, you know, Jonathan, Saul's son, and David had become really close to the fact that Jonathan recognized. He was rightfully the next man to take the throne, but he saw that God had anointed David and said, you're going to be the next one to take the throne, and I want you to know that I'm here for you. I'm your, I'll be your armor bearer. I'm right by your side. And even took the side of David over his father. So David's on the run. Saul's trying to kill him. I mean, there's so much going on in this passage, the background of this passage. One of the things is that, uh, man, there's, David is on the run, and he goes before this king, and he acts like he's insane. He's standing at the gate uh, at the, of the, this king's, I don't know if it's palace or the town. I'm not, I'm not sure right now. I have to go back and look. I don't want to say it one way or the other, so you think I'm preaching heresy. But he's standing there, and he's marking on the gate, and he's letting drool run out of his mouth, and he's acting like he's crazy because he's afraid this king's going to kill him or turn him over to Saul. So he just stands at the gate. That's what he did, man. That's power. That's a mighty man of faith and power, isn't it? I'm just going to act crazy. But then he get, the, the king says, what do you want me to do? Bring a, a, a lunatic in my house? Get him out of here. So they tell David to go off. So when David goes off, David writes this psalm. This psalm right here that starts out, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall fear and hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were arrayed. They looked to him, speaking of God, and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around all those who fear, and, del- and he delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. From the outside, we can look at David and say, you weren't trusting in him. You were acting like a fool so that you wouldn't get killed. But David said, in my heart, I trust the Lord. I trust the Lord. And God delivered him out of that. And you know what's so amazing? After that, God delivers David. He goes from this king and he goes to the cave of Adullam. And it was noised abroad what had happened with David. This is in 2 Samuel, I think, 23, 28. I can look in a minute. But so he goes, goes to the, Let me look. No, it's 1 Samuel 22. Glad you didn't go to 2. 1 Samuel 22. So David goes to this cave of Adullam, and it's noised abroad that he's there. And uh, 
It says, so verse 22 says, so David there, chapter 22, verse 1, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard of it, they went down there to him. Listen to this, verse 2. This is so good. This, this just really encouraged me today. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became the captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. <laughs> okay, so David's in exile. He's running from the king. He's all alone, he, and he's running from the king. And he goes to this cave to hide, and they hear that David's in this cave. So this mighty group of valiant people come to David. Who are they? Those who were in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented uh, gathered to him. And that word discontented, it means um, bitter of soul. So these guys weren't the pick of the, the crop, if you're with me. Are you tracking with me? These guys, they were in debt. They were depressed. They were cast out. They said, David's down there. But here's what's so amazing. David was a man after God's own heart, right? Right. That's not a trick question. David was a man after God's own heart. So David, what he gave to these guys, this group of, if you will, losers, is he gave them a passion to serve a living God. He modeled before them a reality of, no, I'm not perfect. But I serve a perfect God who's good all the time. And you know who these men became? These men became, and that's in 2 Samuel. These men became the, uh, the mighty men of valor, the, the captains, the ones who, one guy who stood and killed all the Philistines. He fought all day long. And when he got through fighting, he couldn't even take the sword out of his hand because his hand was locked up around the sword because he had fought all day. Two of these mighty men, they, David said, he was, in, he was in exile, and he said, oh, I would love to have water from Jerusalem. And, and, and Jerusalem was, was uh, surrounded by the Philistines. It was, it was occupied by the Philistines. And these two guys said, David wants water. Let's go get it. It wasn't, God won't be honored if I don't have water from Jerusalem. Or Bethlehem, I, I think it's Jerusalem. Anyway, I'm just, uh, God, it wasn't that. They heard his heart, and they said, let's go get it. So they went down, got water, brought it back to David. Had to fight their way in, fight their way out to get water, just so David could have water. And when David got it, he was so humbled. He said, I can't drink this. I'm going to pour it out. And people in our culture would go, well, that's just disrespectful. No, he poured it out as an offering, as a drink offering before the Lord. He's like, God, you love me so much that two guys would just hear something that came. You know, it sounds a little bit like... Ephesians says, well, he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that's at work on the inside of us. David, just thinking out loud, said, man, I would love to have water. They said, we'll go get it. David didn't commission them. He didn't knight them. He didn't write a letter. They just went and got it. And when they brought it back, what was he teaching them? He was ungrateful? No. He was teaching them that God is worthy. He was teaching them that God is worthy. They brought, they, they, you know, they're thinking, man, we put our lives on the line for this, and David's going to get to drink it. And David said, guys, I want to teach you something that you can't learn in school. God's worthy of this. 
And he didn't pour it out because he didn't want it. He poured it out because he wanted it. That's worship. Worship. David, another place, the, the threshing floor. Uh, who was it? What's his name? Somebody's threshing floor. David came to it, and he wanted to offer a sacrifice. And he, the guy said, I'll give it to you. And David said, no, you won't give it to me. I'll buy it from you because I'm not going to give God anything that didn't cost me something. That's worship. Worship's not always convenient, but he's always worthy. See, I want you to understand that worship is not because we've had a, we had a good day or, or, we, or we didn't have a good day. We talked about this the other week as well. Sometimes we will use heaven help us. I'm just going to be real because this is the real world. We'll use things like that to try to manipulate God to do something that we need him to do in our lives because we've heard testimonies that's what others have done. Not manipulated him, but we heard somebody that just worshiped their way through a breakthrough. We've got stories of it in the Bible, right? That's what the first, the, when they came into the promised land, the first one was taken by what? It was taken by worship. It wasn't taken by warfare. It was taken by worship. So we can create a model and think, well, a formula, and this is how it has to be done. And God said, no, what I'm after is intimacy with you. I'm after relationship with you. And what's so good about him is even if we stumble into it, he still receives it. And what I mean by that is if we don't have it all together, but we find ourselves in those times where we just go, man, I just want to worship you, Lord. We didn't set that block of time out like we were supposed to. You know, um, we went to see the war room a couple weeks ago. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend you go see that. It's a phenomenal movie. Uh, but we went to see it, and in there, the the... The lady, the main character, the older lady, I can't remember her name, Miss Clara. She had a closet that she had cleaned out. And uh, in my office, if I was sitting at my desk, right in front of me is the closet. We've lived there, be six years this December. And uh, my wife, for four and a half, for five, six years, five years and nine months, eight months or something like that, has said, we need to clean out that closet. We need to clean out that closet. Because it's full of boxes. When we were in our old house, I had two big bookshelves. And when we moved in this one, I had one little one. So there was boxes of books and study stuff that I have from over the years, 20-some years. And uh, they were just stacked in there and old pictures and things like that. And when we watched that, I said, Lord, I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to have a place that I can go to. I, I didn't make a God out of the closet. But I said, I'm going to make a place where I can meet with you. Like, um, I think it's Matthew 6, 6. It says, you go pray in secret, and the God who, who hears in secret will reward you openly. I said, God, I want that place, a physical place where I can go. I do devotions every morning. I get up at 20 after 5 every morning. I don't have to be out of the house till close to 8. I get up early in the morning so I can spend time with the Lord. So it wasn't like I didn't do anything with the Lord, but I said, God, I want a specific place. I want my secret place that I can go into. So I took, it took me a week. It took me almost a week to get that puppy cleaned out. It only took me a few hours to get all the boxes out of the room, but that was not enough. I knew my wife. I even told her for about the first three days in it, don't go upstairs. <laughs> it's not pretty and you won't be happy. Don't go upstairs. <laughs> don't look. And I still don't have it all straight. But I made that place where I said, Jesus, I want this to be a place where I can go with you. And when I go in there, 
for the majority of the time, I don't carry anything in there but, but this Bible, this Bible and a notepad. Because I don't want the distractions of all the convenience of electronic gadgets. And this morning I was studying something totally different. And, uh, you know, I love it. This is what I was talking about. Sometimes you can just fall into it. I was there and I was studying. I was trying to open up. My documents are they're synced on the cloud. Y'all tracking with me? So I can work on it on my iPad and I open up my computer and bam, there it is. Well, I was working on my iPad, open up my computer, and it wasn't. <laughs> no bam, no nothing. It just wasn't there. It wasn't there. I'd go back to my iPad. There it is. It's saved on the cloud. It's not, on my, it's not there. So I shut my computer down and rebooted my computer. And while I'm sitting at my desk, I look up, and there's the room. And the Lord said, why don't you just come be with me? Don't worry about the computer. Just come be with me. So I left my iPad that had the document on it, my computer that didn't, on my desk. And I took my Bible that it was full of stuff he wanted to say to me. And I went in the closet. And I just sat in the floor. And I started, I've written out scriptures that I declare over my home, over my life, over our church, that the Lord's just highlighting. Now, I've been in Psalms 34 and Psalms 37 and Psalms 47 and Proverbs and Romans. And I've, been, I've had these things written out. And I'm sitting there in the closet. And I just begin to pray and spend time with the Lord. And, and I hear people, it was, it was dark outside when I went in the closet, <laughs> and I hear people moving around outside, and I was like, I might ought to check and see what time it is. <laughs> it might be good to just check and see what time it is. And I'd been in there over an hour, and it felt like I just walked in the door. See, I'm not saying all that so you can say, oh, good for you, you spiritual man, you. That's not it at all. I'm saying that because what he desires above everything is relationship. He's not a God hungry for you to declare how good he is because he knows how good he is because he's God. He's not a God who's starving for love. He's a God who is love, and he's looking for opportunity to pour that love out on us if we'll just give him that opportunity. That was something David had a grip on. He wasn't perfect. He made many mistakes. In this, the whole context of what was going on, David, when he was on the run, he went to the high priest and said, give me the showbread and he, <clears throat> that was just outside of Jerusalem. Uh, he said, give me the, the showbread. And he said, that's supposed to be just for the priest. David said, give it to me. He gave him the showbread. He says, is there anything here? I don't have a knife. He lied to the priest. He said, I'm on assignment, a secret assignment from Saul. So don't tell him. Don't tell anybody I'm here. But there was one guy there who was a herdsman, a chief herdman for Saul. And David, and David said, I don't have anything. Do you have anything here? I don't have a, a sword. I don't have a spear. I don't have anything. And the guy said, well, you know that sword you took from Goliath when you chopped his head off? It's wrapped up in the back. It's in the storeroom. That's not what it says. But he said, all that I have here is that. So he took the showbread, the, the bread that had been before the Lord, and it was bread. They would put fresh bread out. I'm not going to go into all that right now. But each week they would put new bread out, and they had bread that he would take down. So David took the bread, and he took the sword. Well, Saul heard about it. And you know what happened? Saul called all those priests. It was like 80 of them. It was the high priest and his whole family. He called them in and said, what did, why'd you do this thing? He said, man, he told me he was on secret assignment. He said, I'm killing you and your whole family. And he did. The high priest, his whole family, kids, babies, everybody got wiped out. 
Because David went and said, I'm on a secret assignment. That wasn't true. He was running for his life, right? I'm not throwing David in the ditch. I'm just saying, I want you to understand, David understood that all of them died but one man, and he came to David, and David said, I'm sorry. He said, but you can stay with me. You'll be safe with me. One man out of uh, the high priest's whole family survived, and he became one of David's men. Man, that's powerful. See, David wasn't perfect. I, I'm convinced David and I are a whole lot alike, because as I read about David, he wasn't one of these uh, uh, brilliant leaders he was a guy who figured it out as he went. That's with me. That's kind of who I am. I am not afraid. I'm not scared. I know where I'm going. But sometimes the Lord says, no, we're going to change it up a little bit. And I go, okay. I'm going to follow you, Lord. I don't always get it right, but I'm always in relationship with him. And I see that in David. David wasn't a man who had it right, but he would worship. When David took a praise break, he took a praise break. When they brought, when he became king and he recognized that the ark wasn't there and that represented the presence of God, David said, We're going to do whatever it takes to get it back. When he went for it the first time, he did it wrong. He tried to do it in the power of man. He tried to bear it on man's shoulders instead of the way God had told him and said, Don't let a man touch it. They're trying to bring the ark. Look, this is, oh, this is so good. And, and what God, I believe, was teaching me in that is, Look, you don't try to do it your own way. You do it my way. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Don't try to get me to come join what you're doing. Amen. Amen. That's a good word, preacher. Thank you. So David, they, the, the ox cart stumbles. Uzziah puts his hand out. He's struck dead because nobody was supposed to touch the ark but the high priest. David says, what? Stop. Let's leave it there at Obed-Edom's house. So he left at Obed-Edom's house, and I can't remember exactly how many days it was there. But word got to David that Obed-Edom was tremendously blessed, that his house was flourishing, that everything that Obed was doing was right. And David said, I know why. It's because of the presence of God. It's there. i got to have it. I've got to have the presence. And you know what's so amazing? It's contagious. When you get addicted to Jesus and not to religion, not to a form, not to a formula, when you get addicted to Jesus, it'll affect people around you. David was addicted to the presence of God in a good way. That's a good thing. He said, I've got to have your presence, God. Without your presence, I can't do anything. And he went back to Obed-Edom's house, and he did it right this time. He didn't just bring the oxen to carry the ark on. He brought animals to sacrifice, and they would take, I forget, every, so many steps, and they would stop, and they would make a sacrifice. They'd take a few more, the same amount of steps again, they would stop, and they would have a sacrifice. It wasn't a quick journey. It was a bloody journey because they kill animals all the way back to Jerusalem. But Obed-Edom. The man whose house was tremendously blessed. Everything was going right. He, he, he had everything going for him. When the ark left, Obed said, I got to go. I got to go. All this stuff doesn't matter to me. I got to be where the presence of the Lord is. And Obed Edom became one of the key men in the keeping of the ark when it came into David's tabernacle, which was different than any other tabernacle because David's tabernacle wasn't surrounded by walls. It was surrounded by worshipers. 
It was surrounded by worship. And David brought it in that way. When David brought the ark in, that's when his wife became barren. Because David came in, and, and David danced to where he danced out of all his clothes and didn't have anything on but a linen. And he was dancing before the Lord, and his wife looked at him and said, You've made a fool of yourself. And David looked at her, and he said, Baby, baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. And David, it says, he danced before the Lord with all his might. Why? Because he was captivated by his king. He was captivated by his king. He worshiped, not just in the dance, he worshiped with his heart. When it wasn't convenient, he worshiped. When it wasn't understood, he worshiped. When it wasn't received by others, he worshiped. See, worship is not a service that we have before we have preaching. Worship is a lifestyle of intimacy and obedience that says, God, you're worthy. Not some of the time, you're worthy all the time. Not when I think you're performing well in my life. Not when everything's going well in my life. You're worthy all the time because of who you are. Because of who you are. And as I, it, as I partner with that, I can be just like these 400 misfits that joined themselves to David. They became David's mighty men. I, who were they? They were in distress. They were in debt. They were discontented. Hmm. Does that sound familiar? Man, this can be written in today's newspaper. It can be written in a newspaper. But if you don't understand relationship, if you don't understand family, what you'll try to do is put people in a program instead of introduce them to a person. You'll try to program the problems out of them instead of just saying, come watch as we love Jesus together. Don't do what I tell you to do. Do what I do. Paul said that. He said, you follow me as I follow Christ. Right? That's right. That's what he said. See, worship is not just something that we do. It's who we are. Because he's worthy. And as we get our eyes off of us and more focused and fixed on him, the fruit of a life that's intimately connected with him. It'll be just like Obed-Edom. You know, John, as, uh, as, we were, as we were singing this morning, a couple other passages came to me. One was in um, Matthew, Matthew 6, five, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, Jesus teaching, uh, and he said, verse Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And the Lord took me from there to John chapter 7. And in John chapter 7, it says this. Let me get to 7. Verse 37, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of what kind of water? Living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So he said, if you're thirsty, come to me, and I'll give you the Holy Spirit. I'll give you the presence of God abiding with you, right? That's who Holy Spirit is. He's the presence of God abiding with every person who's born again. He's in us. He said, I'll give you the Spirit, and it'll be a river of living water. God said, my heart for you is to live in a place of connected intimacy with me. And as I began, we've got to get beyond the place where we can come to a building, come to a meeting, wherever it is, and exchange information and say we've had an encounter with God. No, what we've done is we've gathered information. Not that information is bad. We've gathered information. Just like I said, if you went to a restaurant, if I recommended a restaurant to you, and I'll, the best way I can parallel this is putting it in the natural. Our five senses, we all about our five senses. We know what we see. We know what we taste and, and touch and hear and smell. We know all of those things. So if I, if I recommend a restaurant to you, and you just go look in the window of the restaurant, will you know that what I recommended is good? No. If you go to the restaurant, sit down, get a booth, and smell what everyone else is eating, do you know that what I told you is good is good? No. You know how you know? When you sit down, when you place your order, and you taste and see that Todd is right, that what you're eating... Is good. You taste and see. And that's what the Lord, and, and here's the thing. I'll close with this. I, I hope you noticed. I didn't tell you, here's what it looks like to taste and see. I didn't say, here's what it should feel like when you taste and see. Because then that's just me maybe sharing who he is to me or an encounter I've had and, and giving you a formula versus an, invita- versus an invitation into a relationship like you've maybe never had before. So I want you to understand, he loves us so very much. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our adoration. He's worthy, as the psalmist says, David said, Oh, clap your hands. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. 